0: The Guardian.
1: Order questions to the Prime Minister, Henry Smith. Number one, sir. Thank you Mr Speaker, I'm sure before answering the whole house will wish to join me in expressing our sympathies to the victims of the appalling flooding that we've seen across our country in recent days and also in giving support and praise to our emergency services, to the police, fire, ambulance service and to the environment agency, to local councils, voluntary bodies and good neighbours who've all done extraordinary things to help those in distress. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today.
0: Henry Smith. Mr Speaker, the whole House will, of course, endorse the words of the Prime Minister in paying tribute to our fantastic emergency services in responding uh, to the terrible floods and those who have uh, been victims of it. Mr Speaker, tomorrow sees the publication of the Leveson report. Does my right honourable friend agree with me? Uh, that those who should be uppermost in our minds are the victims of previous yeah. media yeah. intrusion yeah. unfairly. And does he also agree with me that the status quo needs updating?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think my Uh, hon. Friend is absolutely right in what he says. The status quo, I would argue, does not just need updating. The status quo is unacceptable and needs to change. This government set up Leveson because of unacceptable practices in parts of the media and because of a failed regulatory system. I'm looking forward to reading the report carefully. I'm sure all members will want to consider it carefully. I think we should try and work across party lines on this issue. It's right to meet with other party leaders about this issue, and I will do so. as most, Mr Speaker, I believe, is that we end up with an independent regulatory system that can deliver and in which the public will have confidence.
0: Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, let me say I associate myself entirely with the Prime Minister's remarks about the victims of flooding all of my sympathies and the sympathies of this side of the House go to those victims and our thanks go to the emergency services and the Environment Agency for the fantastic job that they do. Let let me also associate myself with his remarks uh, about the Leveson Report, which will be published tomorrow. I hope we can work on an all-party basis. This is a -a once-in-a-generation opportunity for real change, and I hope that this House can make it happen. Mr Speaker, when the work programme was launched in June 2008, 11. The Prime Minister described it as, and I quote, the biggest and boldest program since the Great Depression. <laughs> 18, 18 months on, can he update the House on how it's going?
1: Yes, I can. I can update the House. Over 800,000 people have taken part in the work program. Of those, uh, over half over half came off benefits over 200,000 people have got into work because of the work programme but I think it is worth worth remembering that the work programme is dealing with the hardest to work cases there are in our country. These are people uh, adults who've been out of work for over a year and young people who've been out of work for over nine months and on that basis, yes we need to make further progress but it's the right programme.
0: But mr speaker the scheme is supposed to create sustained jobs for people and in a whole year of the program out of every 100 people just 2 got a job that is a success rate of 2% and the government and the government estimates and the go- and the, i don't know why the part time chancellor is chanting he was te- he was he was he was telling off the work and pension secretary of cabinet yesterday for the failure of the work program and the, government, and the government estimates that without a work programme, this is the basis on which they did the tender, five out of every hundred would get a job. Yeah. Mr Speaker, isn't it a historic first to have designed a welfare to work programme where you're more likely to get a job if you're not on the programme? Yeah
1: to say to the leader of the opposition i listened very carefully to what he said and what he said was wrong he said only 2% of people on this program got a job that is not correct there are over 800,000 people who have taken part over 200,000 people have got into work if you look at the specific figure he was referring to yesterday which is those people continuously in work for 6 months when the pro- but of course he's only looking at a program that has been going a year. That figure is 19,000 people. But I think he should listen. He should listen to the CBI. The CBI say the work programme has already helped to turn around the lives of thousands of people. These are people Labour left on the scrap heap. He should be apologising not attacking the programme.
0: I think, I think that's as close as we get to an admission that I was right and he was wrong, Mr Speaker. Now, he boasted boasted that his flagship policy, the work programme, was about tackling the scourge of long-term unemployment. Can he confirm confirm that since the work programme was introduced in June 2011, long-term unemployment has risen by 96%?
1: Well, let me give him the employment numbers. One million more private sector jobs. Since the last election, 190,000 fewer people on out-of-work benefits. Just in the last quarter, employment up by 100,000, unemployment down by 49,000. And while we're at it, let's just remember Labour's poisonous legacy. Youth unemployment up 40%. Women's unemployment up 24%. Five million on out-of-work benefits. That's the
0: legacy we're dealing with, and we're getting the country back to work for once, Mr. Speaker, he'd just answer the question. I asked him a very simple question about whether long-term unemployment had gone up by 96% since the work programme was introduced, and the answer is yes. And while he's talking about Labour's programmes, let's talk about the Future Jobs Fund, the Labor's- Because last Friday, the government issued a very interesting document, Mr Speaker. He spent two years rubbishing the Future Jobs Fund. What did this document say? It said the scheme provided net benefit to participants, their employers and society as a whole. In other words, it was a success. And and he's rubbished the program and it helped 120,000 young people into work. His work program has only helped 3,000 people. They they shout, what does it cost? can't afford not to have young people in work, Mr Speaker. Isn't the truth, isn't the truth, he got rid of a Labour programme that was working and replaced it with a Tory one that isn't.
1: Once again, he's completely wrong, and let me give him the figures. Our work experience programme is seeing half of the young people taking part getting into work. That is the same result as the Future Jobs Fund, and it costs 20 times less. That is the truth. Our programme is good value for taxpayers' money, is getting people into work. He wasted money and left people on the dole.
0: Because the more he blusters, the redder he gets, the less convincing he is. That is the reality. And look, look, we know, we know in real time what happened at yesterday's cabinet. They were at each other like rats in a sack. The, the, The Chancellor, the Chancellor, he's blaming the Work and Pension Secretary. The Work and Pension Secretary, he's blaming the Chancellor for the lack of growth. And the Prime Minister, he is doing what he does best. He is blaming everyone else for the failure. And and isn't this the reality? Isn't this the reality? Their failure on the work programme is a product of their failure to get growth and the failure of their whole economic strategy. (laughs) He worked in a government where the Prime Minister and the Chancellor couldn't
1: be in the same room as each other rats in a sack doesn't even do it. Let's have a look. Why don't we have a look at what he's achieved on welfare this week. Once again, this week, Labour voted against a welfare cap. They voted again against a welfare cap. And now today, they are asking us to vote on a motion in front of this House on welfare. Now. Last night, this motion specifically said they wanted further reform of welfare. Today, the motion has mentioned nothing about reform of welfare. The truth is, they're against the benefit cap, they're against the housing benefit cap, they're against the work programme. They are officially the party of something for nothing.
0: I'll tell him the reality, Mr Speaker, I'll tell him the reality. His welfare programme is failing. His welfare reform programme is failing because there isn't the work and his economic strategy is failing. And that is the reality. He has a work programme that isn't working, a growth strategy that's not delivering and a deficit that is rising. It is a government that is failing, a Prime Minister that is failing and the British people... Calm down, calm down. He just can't keep his cool when he knows he's losing the argument, Mr Speaker and it's the British people that are paying the price for his failure I think what we can see is a leadership that's drowning
1: it's this government that's cut corporation tax, that's scrapped the jobs tax, that, enterprise, that introduced the enterprise zones, that back the regional growth fund, that's funded a million apprenticeships, that is rebuilding our economy, that sees a million more people in private sector work we're putting the country back to work their party wrecked
0: it yeah. Ian yeah. but thank you mr speaker will the prime minister join me in congratulating the milton keynes based red bull formula one team on winning the world championship for three years in a row another fine example of british uh, technological innovation
1: I'm delighted to uh, praise and uh, pay tribute to the Formula 1 team based in his constituency uh, which sadly beat the Formula 1 uh, team the Lotus Renault team based in my constituency <laughs> but it is actually a remarkable fact that if you look at almost all of the Formula 1 cars wherever they're racing in the world they're almost all built designed engineered here in Britain it's an industry in which we lead the world and we should be very proud of it
0: Jonathan Ashworth you, Mr Speaker but the Prime Minister must have studied government's own report, which shows that the Future Jobs Fund had a net benefit to participants, employers and society. And given this report, and given that youth unemployment is now higher in Leicester than it was at the general election, why did he tell me at questions a year ago that the Future Jobs Fund provided just, and I quote, phony jobs?
1: Well, well, first of all, it needs to explain why youth unemployment went up 40% under the last Labour government of the Future Jobs Fund are these. If you take the figures for Birmingham, 2% of the placements under the Future Jobs Fund were in the private sector, the rest was in the public sector, and the cost of the scheme was 20 times higher than the work experience placement, which is doing just as well. Mrs. Cheryl Gillan. My... Order. The right honourable lady must be heard. Cheryl Gillan. My right honourable friend is aware that the government is consulting on the compensation people will get if HS2 goes ahead. This is very critical for people in my constituency... And I would ask the Prime Minister if he will give me a personal undertaking that he will study the proposals for the final packages for compensation and ensure that those
0: people whose homes, businesses and lives will be totally disrupted by this scheme if it goes ahead are both fairly and generously compensated.
1: I absolutely give that undertaking that I will look carefully at the scheme. We are consulting, as she knows, at the moment. The proposals we put forward are as good as the scheme for HS1 and better than the compensation scheme for previous uh, motorway developments. As she knows, there's an advanced purchase scheme for property purchase to simplify the process for property owners in the safeguarded area. There's also a voluntary purchase scheme to allow homeowners outside the area to have their homes purchased. But I'm very happy to discuss with her and others how we can make sure uh, that this scheme works properly for people.
0: Ms Gisela Stewart. Thank you Mr Speaker. On Monday, the
1: Police and Crime Commissioner Bob Jones and the Chief Constable Chris Sims called for a fair deal for policing for Birmingham and the West Midlands. <coughs> West Midlands arguably have got the highest policing needs outside London. How can the Prime Minister hope to build a One Nation? If areas like Birmingham and the West Midlands lose 800 frontline police officers and low-crime areas like Surrey get an extra 250 bobbies on the beat, don't we all deserve to live in safe communities? The point I would make to the Honourable Lady is, yes, we have asked the police to make uh, funding reductions and they've been able to do that uh, with actually keeping a higher proportion of bobbies on the front-line which actually has been effective taking people out of back-office jobs and at the same time crime has Fallen, and public confidence in the police has risen. So, yes, we are asking the police to take difficult decisions,
0: but they're doing it and they're delivering. Roger William. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'd like to uh, congratulate the Coalition Government on introducing regulation on introducing regulations to protect the welfare of wild animals uh, performing in travelling circuses. Yet this House this house voted overwhelmingly for a complete ban in 2011. While we wait for a draft bill to be published, will the uh, Prime Minister commit to introducing legislation so that this ban can be introduced in this Parliament?
1: Minister just that, but I think my honourable friend is absolutely right to raise the fact that we've changed the regulations, even in advance of legislation, so that the clearly expressed will of this House uh, can be met. Mr Nigel Dodds. Uh, Petrol prices in this country are amongst the very highest in the EU, and diesel prices are the very highest. Given that the Prime Minister is introducing minimum limits on alcohol pricing, can he turn his mind to maximum limits on fuel duty, and start reducing the price of petrol and diesel for hard-pressed families and businesses yes, across yes, the United yes. Yes. No, well, the, my, the Honourable general makes an important point and of course because of the changes we've made uh, petrol and diesel are 10p less a litre than they otherwise would have been if we had kept the tax increases that were put in place by the party opposite. That's the effect of this government and we want to go on making that progress.
0: Mel Stride. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Could I thank my right honourable friend for visiting Buckfast Lee with me yesterday, a town in my constituency that has been severely affected by the flooding. And what the people of Buckfast Lee wish to know is how they are now going to uh, get uh, insurance at affordable rates for flooding, particularly given that many of those homes have been blighted. And Would he join me in pressing the Association of British Insurance to stop grandstanding in their negotiations with the Government, to get down to the table, to thrash out a deal so that my constituents can get the insurance they need? Mr. I think the,
1: my honourable friend makes a very important point and I very much enjoyed yesterday visiting his constituency with him, seeing at first hand the appalling damage done by the floods and speaking with local people, the emergency services and the Environment Agency about all the work that is being done to try and protect more houses in future. But we do need to address this insurance issue. Negotiations are underway. The Minister for Government Policy, the Honourable Member for West Dorset, is leading for the Government. I do want us to get a resolution so insurance companies uh, actually provide what they are meant to, which is insurance for people uh, living in their homes who want proper protection.
0: Chris Ruane. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I thank the Prime Minister for his expressions of sympathy to the family of uh, my elderly constituents who died uh, in the floods. And I join him in expressing sympathy to all those. I think there's four people who have died in the floods. But will the Prime Minister immediately reverse the 30% cuts that he's made in flood defences in the past two, two years? And what part will he pay on the issue of flood, uh, def- uh, flood insurance for those... Who uh, live in flood risk areas?
1: Well, first of all, let me join the Honourable Gentleman in paying tribute to his constituents who've had to bear some truly terrible floods. The pictures from St. Asaf were of floods of biblical scenes and I know the emergency services ha- have performed extraordinary feats to rescue people and to help people at what is a very difficult time. On the issue of flood defence spending the government is planning to spend over 2 billion over the next four years that is 6% less than over the previous uh, four years but we believe by spending the money better and by leveraging money from private and other sectors we can actually increase that level of, of flood defence spending. The spending that is is already underway will protect an additional 145,000 homes between now and 2015, but if we can go further, of course we should. Caroline Noakes. Over 3 million people a year fall victim to postal scams, telephone calls and emails, making false promises of lottery wins, windfalls and inheritances. Is my right honourable friend the Prime Minister aware that £3.5 billion per year is lost by UK consumers and will he commit to working with the Home Office to amend existing legislation to protect the predominantly elderly and vulnerable victims? I think my noble friend makes a very important point this is a growing area of crime and criminology that is taking place and taking advantage of people using the internet but often people who are very vulnerable that's why as part of the National Crime Agency we're setting up a new unit dedicated to tackling this problem it will work across agencies to catch criminals and to take the steps that she rightly speaks about
0: Greg thank you Mr. Speaker the Leader of Opposition a moment ago asked the Prime Minister whether it was the case that long term unemployment had risen by since the work programme was introduced. He did not receive an answer. Can I ask the Prime Minister again, is it the case that long-term unemployment has risen by 96% since the work programme was introduced? I've
1: given the figures for the work programme. 800,000 people taking part, 200,000 people getting work. And this is against a background where over the last quarter, unemployment's coming down, the rate of youth unemployment is coming down, and there are more people in work. That is a record that we can build on. Dr Liam Fox.
0: Mr Speaker. A a free press is a necessary counterbalance to a strong state. The British people also have an inherent sense of fairness. Therefore, we do not need to restrict the press. We need to focus on redress when the press cross an unacceptable line. With that in mind, will the Prime Minister, will my right honourable friend look at the whole question of access to justice in this country so that the ability to use the laws we already have on libel and defamation are available to everyone, not just the rich and famous?
1: I I think my right hon. Friend makes an important point about access to justice, but I think one of the key things that the Leveson Inquiry is trying to get to the bottom of is how can you have a strong and independent regulatory system so that you don't have to wait for the wheels of the criminal justice system or the libel system to work. People should be able to rely on a good regulatory system as well to get the sort of redress they want, whether that is prominent apologies or fines for newspapers or the other things that are clearly so necessary.
0: Derek Twee. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Department of Education is proposing to close down its Runcorn site with a loss of 220 jobs at least, uh, which is in the 27th most deprived borough in the country. Can I ask the Prime Minister how this is going to help tackle unemployment and social deprivation in my constituency? It's a pity that his Secretary of State has refused to meet me on this matter. Yeah. Oh.
1: I know the Honourable Member has met the Permanent Secretary of the Department of Education to discuss this, and I'll certainly discuss this with the, with the Secretary of State as well. Uh, uh, of course, there'll be consultation with affected staff and other local MPs, but let me make this point to the Honourable Gentleman, because I think it is important. We all know you have to try and find savings in departmental overhead budgets in order to maximise the money that goes into the schools. What this government has managed to do is to maintain the per-pupil funding, and I'm sure that Honourable Members thinking about it would think that's the most important thing for our schools for our children and for our education system George Freeman Last year more than 10,000 men in Britain died from prostate cancer, the silent killer survival rates have increased from 20 to 70% because of earlier diagnosis and better drugs. Could I pay tribute to the Prime Minister's commitment to the NHS Cancer Drugs Fund and ask if he'll join me in welcoming the Movember campaign's uh, work to raise male health awareness and champion British leadership in cancer research only join my honourable friend in praising the Movember campaign, but also praise his efforts uh, that are (laughs) lurking tentatively under his nose um, in terms of uh, that regard. I think it is an important campaign because it raises awareness about cancer. It raises awareness about cancers, including uh, the ones you mentioned, that sometimes people are worried about mentioning and talking about. Raising awareness is important, but also things like the Cancer Drugs Fund that make sure we get the drugs to the people that need them are also important too.
0: Ian Lucas... Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I once represented a seriously injured car crash victim who was hounded and hurt further by an irresponsible press. When he set up the Leveson inquiry, the Prime Minister said, I accept we can't say it is the last chance saloon all over again. We've done that. Will the Prime Minister, for the victims, for the McCanns, for the Dowlers keep his word.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think the honourable gentleman is absolutely right, as is my honourable friend, the member for Crawley, in saying that uppermost in our minds as we consider this report should be the victims of the press intrusion and the invasions into privacy and the appalling things in some cases that was written about them and their families. What we owe them is a regulatory system that will work for them, that the public will have confidence in, and that is what we hope Leveson will produce. Jake Berry. Thank you. Yeah,
0: yeah. Leaving home before it's light... Returning from work when it's dark. Hard working families in Rossendale and Darwin have a gross household income of just £25,000. Does my right honourable friend think it's right that their neighbours living on benefits currently earn more?
1: Well, my honourable friend makes an important point, and only this week we've yet again had a vote on our welfare benefits cap, which, it, which most people would see as generous at £26,000. And once again, Labour have voted for unlimited welfare. And we have long memories. We can remember that under Labour, some families were getting 70, pounds £80,000, pounds £100,000 of housing benefit. They did nothing about it because they believe in something for nothing. Mr Michael
0: Meacher... Since the Prime Minister denounced uh, aggressive tax avoidance as morally repugnant, why is his own government now itself actively promoting aggressive tax avoidance by cutting the tax on multinationals that open a finance company in a tax haven from the current 23% to just 5%? How can we be one nation when the government's on the side of the tax dodgers?
1: I think the Right Honourable General has misunderstood what we're doing. We are introducing a general anti-avoidance rule, something which he, in 13 years of Labour government, never managed to do. We'll do it in three. Greg Mulholland... Thank you. Thank you,
0: Mr Speaker. Um, we were all inspired by the amazing London 2012 Olympics and Paralympics game and the incredible summer of sport. But it is so important to get people involved in grassroots community sport. Will the Prime Minister meet with me with the Sport and Recreation Alliance, the Community Sports Partnership Network and Sport England, to discuss the Be Inspired Get Involved initiative, the first fair of
1: which is this evening in my constituency. I'm very happy to meet with uh, my honourable friend about this issue. I do think it's important that we take the legacy of the Olympics and turn it into increased rates of participation. I think that means, yes, working with the organisations that he's speaking about, but also recognising the many heroes and heroines right around our country who run the Saturday morning football clubs, rugby clubs, cricket clubs. I think it's those clubs that provide so much of the answer for getting more sport into our communities and more sport into our schools as well.
0: Jeremy Corbyn. Will the Prime Minister, like me, welcome the ceasefire in Gaza last week and regret all those that died as a result of the conflict, but also recognise that fundamentally... The future of the Middle East lies with peace and justice for the Palestinian people, be they in Gaza, the West Bank, or in refugee camps. We have to recognise the Palestinian people. So, accordingly, tomorrow, will the British government cast our vote at the United Nations
1: in favour of Palestinian recognition without any preconditions, such as suggesting they should not have access to the International Criminal Court as an independent, recognised nation? Well, I certainly join the Honourable Gentleman in welcoming the fact there is a ceasefire and that 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 conflict uh, has ceased. Uh, I I don't go all the way with him uh, on the rest of his question, but my right Honourable Friend, the Foreign Secretary, will be making a statement from this dispatch box in a few moments about it. I don't want to steal his thunder, but I think it is important that we use our vote to try to say to both sides in this conflict we need talks without preconditions. In the end, as I said uh, on Monday, uh, the only way we're going to see a peace process that works is when Israelis and Palestinians come to the table and talk through the final status issues, including Jerusalem, including refugees, including borders, when they do it themselves. We can wish for all we want at the United Nations. In the end, you've got to have direct talks between the direct parties to get the two-state solution we want.
0: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister will be aware that on the order paper for tomorrow's business, There is a debate in my name to mark the 40th anniversary of the expulsion of Asians by Idi Amin from Uganda and their arrival to the UK. However, because of the need for a statement on the Leveson Inquiry, it is likely that my debate may not take place now. I and the community at large fully appreciate the circumstances, however, would the Prime Minister acknowledge the importance and the need for having such a debate? and also would he do whatever he can to ensure that I am given another debate as soon as possible.
1: I think uh, the reaction of of, uh, colleagues from right across the House shows that he speaks for the whole House and I believe the whole country in wanting to speak up for the Ugandan Asians who came to our country in the 1970s who've made the most fantastic contribution to our national life. And it's very good to see that I I know, uh, I remember meeting his parents, how proud they are of him, second generation coming to this country, sitting in the House of Commons and speaking up so well on these and other issues. While I don't have control of the House of Commons agenda, sadly, I I very much hope that the the people that do will listen carefully to the point he made and reschedule this debate as fast as possible.
0: (laughs) Jemma Doyle.
1: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can the Prime Minister confirm that as a result of his cut in the 50p tax rate, 8,000 people earning over a million pounds will next year gain an average of £107,500? Whose side is he on? What, What I can confirm is that at 45p, the top rate of tax will be higher under this government than in any of the 13 years of the last government in our country will actually be paying more in terms of income tax in every year of this government than in any year of that government. Mr. Robert Halfon. Thank you um, Mr. Speaker. In Harlow, Comet has made 80 home delivery and shop staff redundant, and at least 65 transport logistics staff are now at risk. Many redundant workers are suggesting there's been malpractice Will he ask the business secretary to investigate this and ensure that anyone who has lost their job gets the proper support and help they are entitled to? Mr. Uh, I am very happy to look carefully at what he says. Clearly, uh, what's happened at Comet is a tragedy for those people that work for that uh, business. Uh, I will talk to the business secretary about it and see what can be what can be done in the way that he suggests. Tom Harris.
0: Last week, the prime minister told me and the House that the government was investing an extra 900 million pounds. Uh, an extra £900 million to combat tax avoidance. In fact, as HMRC will confirm, no such investment is taking place. It's facing a 15% cut in its budget. So is the Prime Minister guilty of fact avoidance or fact evasion?
1: The truth is this government has put £900 into the specific measures of tax, getting hold of tax avoidance. All these schemes grew up under years and years of a Labour government. They never did a general anti-tax avoidance. They they presided over a system where people in the city were paying less tax than their cleaners, and it took this government to sort it out. Mr Philip Davies...
0: Thank you Mr Speaker. Can I warn my right honourable friend not to be remembered as the Prime Minister who introduced state regulation of the press? A free press is an essential part of a free democracy. And would you agree with me that uh, state regulation of the press is like pregnancy? You're either just as you're either pregnant or you're not pregnant, you either have state regulation or you don't, and that there is no alternative third way
1: would agree with my honour, honourable friend is that a free press is absolutely vital for a healthy democracy. We should recognise all the press has done and should continue to do to uncover wrongdoing, to stand up to the powerful. This is vitally important and whatever the changes we make, we want a robust and free press in our country.
0: mcdonald Research by the charity Save the Children reveals shockingly that in our country one in seven children does not have a warm coat this winter. The government is now cutting child benefit support to 100,000 families who look after disabled children. Surely, whatever our views on how our economic problems were brought about, surely it cannot be right that children, the poorest and the most vulnerable, pay the most for this economic crisis.
1: I listen carefully to the honourable gentleman. The point I make is that we have removed and are removing, sorry, we are removing child benefit from people earning over £60,000 a year. We think that is the right step to take because those with the broadest backs should be bearing the greatest burden. We have frozen child benefit for other families, but we've increased the child tax credit that goes to the poorest families. Order statement. The foreign
0: secretary. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.